welcome again to this podcast. I'm Dr. Chuck McGathy. This is the message, the weekly message from First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina. And uh, we've been doing podcasts now for almost a year. Uh, And uh, so we're a about ready to turn a corner, and uh, during this last year, it's been a few times of uh, reorganizing our thoughts and what we uh, might be able to do. Of course, the bottom line of all that we do is we want to encourage you in your spiritual life, and uh, in that way, we are doing uh, now not only our radio broadcast in which we uh, broadcast the entire service, which includes announcements and music and Bible study, as well as the message I'm going to do in the podcast today. Uh, But now we also are on Facebook, and if you are a Facebook user or would like to begin to be, you can find a live transmission and a recorded one by going to um, First Baptist Church of Madison NC version 2020. And I think if you'll type that in, you'll be able to come up with that. And on there, you can find not only the worship service for the Sunday uh, presented live at 11 o'clock, but you can also find past worship services and It's a way to connect with people if you enjoy Facebook. So there's Facebook, there is the uh, broadcast signal through WLOE, WMYN, Rockingham County Radio. You can access it on internet through apps like Simple Radio if you don't uh, live within the broadcast range. And uh, of course, if you want to, you can also... Connect with us through our website at www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. But do be aware that at this present time, the only part of that website that is working is that uh, place where you may donate online. Uh, I have had to reorganize and restructure the website, and that is as far as I've gotten so far. So if that is something that you would like to do, please uh, go ahead and access www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org, and you can contribute safely online, or you can, of course, always mail a check to us if you desire to do that. And our mailing address is P.O. Box 209 Madison, North Carolina, 27025. So uh, we are here for you. We're trying to find the best way to communicate always. And uh, this Sunday is uh, the second Sunday in Lent. So we have now come along into our Lenten journey. And the message I'm about to share with you is uh, entitled One Crazy Idea. So I hope you're ready today. If you have your Bible uh, handy, go ahead and get that out. You don't necessarily have to read it while I'm talking, but it may uh, bring about a question or two that you have. And if you do, please make sure that you write that down or remember it. 
and uh, write to me. Tell me that you're listening. And uh, if you would like to say, hey, I, I liked it or I have a question about something or just, hey, Chuck, how you doing? You can do that by writing me uh, email at cpmcgathy, that's cpmcgathy, at yahoo.com. If you'll do that, I'll be sure to respond to you. You might want to put in your title heading, a radio listener or a podcast listener, I guess it would be in this case. So thank you for joining uh, in this today. And now I'd like to share with you a word for today, the second Sunday in Lent. If you know anything of the history of humanity, you will know this. Human beings are tribal. We cluster in groups to protect our mutual interest. That is an instinctual inclination and can serve a good purpose when people are genuinely threatened by a genuine enemy. Usually that enemy is in the form of another tribe bent on the destruction of their neighbor in their belief that weakening or eliminating their perceived rival will benefit their tribe. Thus, the history of human civilization and hostility is also the history of tribalism. What I've just laid out for you is a simplistic but accurate way to explain the warlike nature of humankind. Just think for a moment about every war that you know of. In every case, at least one of the opponents is acting out of tribal interest. The hostile tribe fears that its rights and privileges are about to be compromised. Though the weaponry and tactics may change, the essential human nature toward tribal thinking has remained amazingly consistent. So while tribal thinking and behavior can bring about advances in wealth and other advantages, it can also be the very thing that destroys humanity itself. Now, if you are thinking, I have lost my way today and I'm drifting into historical philosophy when I really am supposed to be talking about the Bible and God, if you're thinking that, then I want to reassure you in two ways. First, I want you to know that all truth is God's truth. We can only benefit from understanding the world God made better and how God has given us many ways to do that. Yes, we learn our theology through the Bible, but God of the Bible is also up on science, philosophy, history, human psychology, and even modern culture. Through all of these disciplines, God can and does speak to us. The inclusion of learning in no way threatens the Bible, but let me tell you what does threaten the Bible, and it is not the Bible or and education, but the Bible and ignorance. And tribalism doesn't welcome either, but it will, if given a chance, attempt to pervert the scripture to support its fear-based protectionism. Secondly, know this. If we will try, if we will work just a bit at learning, we can find and understand the great truths of the scripture that will speak to us just as powerfully today as they did to the original audience. The Bible is not an old, dead tome to be disregarded as old-fashioned and outdated. 
but an enduring word for eternity from the eternal spirit of the eternal God. There is within its pages a record of a lengthy interaction with humankind and a remarkable consistency in it. If we know how to look for it, we can identify the way God sees us and how we might then see one another. But as I just said, this is going to take our best effort. Reading the Bible is not like reading a comic book or watching Real Housewives of New Jersey. No, this is going to demand we think deeply and with an open mind to a genuine God-inspired learning using the good minds He's given us. So come along with me and let's look thoughtfully at the Word of God in Scripture and see how it addresses the human tragedy of tribalism with one crazy idea. It is really a good idea, but still most folks, even most modern Christians, might think this is nuts. The Bible was not written to be popular or to confirm our innate prejudices, but to offer the truth we need from God. I must warn you, though, this might be troubling. Well, let's look at what it says anyway. And I'll leave it up to you to decide the worthiness of this biblical concept. I will need, in order to show you, to read from both the Hebrew and Christian scriptures. First, the words traditionally attributed to Moses and then the words of the Apostle Paul. The first reading is found in Genesis 17, and then in Romans chapter 4 is our second reading. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the ger their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And now let us hear the words of Paul as he writes to the church in Rome from Romans, the fourth chapter. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, 
Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said. So numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned to him, were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Okay, I know that reading was long. But it is a critical piece of biblical truth, a truth first expressed to a man named Abraham and then expressed centuries later to a fledgling church of people trying to live by faith, a people trying to understand and apply the will of God to their own lives. I should also tell you this. When the people for whom this was originally inscribed heard this read to them, they too thought it was one crazy idea. It seemed to violate common sense. This crazy idea spoke a word against what they thought was boilerplate truth. They certainly would have argued that the tribe must be supported. The tribe must be protected. The tribe must be valued against all outsiders. They were special. They were best. They were the apple of God's eye. They thought God wanted them to be great and to succeed, and success was only possible by keeping a pure and undefiled tribe together and keeping others out. Some of you might sense where this is going. You might be starting to squirm a bit. I'm with you. You see, tribalism is so easy to do. It is so tempting to see it as God's way. But I'm going to be honest as I can be with you. That is not what God reveals through the written revelation of Scripture or the words of Christ, who is the Word of God. And that will make us uncomfortable. But it is an uncomfort that will heal our souls and heal our world. It is an inconvenient truth that will usher in the kingdom of God. We must be courageous and humble as we seek the God of all eternity. Only then will we find the truth that we need. Let's go back first to a single man named Abram. This was the turning point in his life. He was not a young man, and this was no idealistic juvenile singing a Coke commercial about teaching one happy world to sing. No, Abram was 99 years old. While we are not sure exactly how to calculate ages given in Genesis, it is more than clear that Abram was no spring chicken. We can and should take a lesson from that. We do not learn everything we need to know about God when we are teenagers or young adults or even middle-aged. As long as you are breathing, as long as your mind is still working, God is still speaking. The question then becomes, are we listening? Abram was listening. 
God was speaking to him about one crazy idea. Abram thought it was too late. He and his equally old wife were just too old to have children. Their time had come and their time had gone. But God had different ideas. Crazy ideas. The first crazy idea was that Abram and his wife would have a child. This child would be the one to pass on his name. Through his child, Abram would live into the future. Not only would this child be born, but this child would have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. In fact, this child would be the start of a people who would be as numerous as the stars in the nighttime sky. Yet, there was something more, another part to God's crazy scheme. You see, in this passage, there is a challenge to the tribal thinking so deeply embedded in Abram. Let me take you back to what it was like for him. The Abram tribe were an extended family that had left the civilization of Ur in fertile Mesopotamia to find a home of their own. Because they were moving into new territory, they needed to band together to stay safe. They were probably not always welcome, but by and by they found a niche and made a new home for themselves. The Abram tribe had established itself. So this crazy idea God has for them is going to seem, well, crazy. God tells Abram that not only is he going to have a son, but his own name will need to be changed. He will henceforth be known as Abraham. That means the father of many nations. Now, please think about what just happened. Abram had longed for years that his tribe might be able to go on after his death, but it might be able that it might be able to fend off all comers and survive. But God came to him with this crazy, crazy idea. He wants Abraham to think another way. He wants him to be the spiritual father of many nations. This tells us more about God than we might imagine. It surely did this for Abraham. It said to him in no uncertain terms that his God cared for and loved all people and his plan was not to establish the Abraham tribe, but to connect all humanity as brothers and sisters into a forever family. To this ancient tribal leader, God said, your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you. Now, you might think that with such a profoundly clear word as this, that the children of Abraham would always know and always profess God's love and welcome of all people. You might think that this lesson so powerfully presented in the life of the first great patriarch of the faith would be the foundation stone upon which all that the religion embraced by the people would build throughout the ages. But it was not so for the Jews, and it has not been so for the Christians. Fortunately, we have the words and example of the great apostle and preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ to speak to us. And just as God also spoke to an old man in the desert years ago, he wants also to speak to us. Paul, like Abraham, was one whose name was changed. Originally, he was called by a Hebrew name, Saul. He found out, and much to his great surprise, 
that God wanted him to do something he found enormously uncomfortable. I wonder, has God ever asked you to do something you found uncomfortable? (laughs) If not, have you been listening? Perhaps the change he wrought in Abram and Saul is also the change he wants to bring about in your heart too. This scripture is found in a letter that Paul had written to the church in Rome. But before I get into that, you need to know something about Paul's story. I bet you know this much. You know that Saul of Tarsus was a bright and ambitious young man, a member of a highly regarded segment of the religious community called Pharisees. You may also know that he had undertaken a mission to root out and destroy the followers of a rabbi who had been executed for his radical ideas. Jesus was seen as a threat who must be eliminated for the good of the tribe, as one chief priest put it, better that one man perish than the whole nation perishes. So he was crucified, and that should have been that, except his stubborn followers were continuing to preach his message. I'm sure you know all of that, but what I want you to see is what it was about that message that was so disturbing to Saul. That, I think, can best be summarized by the words of Jesus as recorded by the Apostle John. Listen carefully to the words. You know them well. For God so loved the world. (laughs) That was the problem. The religious community of his day did not accept that. They did not believe that. Not at all. They thought they were the exceptional people, the nation God would make great again, the best, the first, the only. But Jesus spoke about God's love for all people, even Greeks and Romans and Samaritans. But the tribalism of that day could not endure such an idea. The great change that came over Saul and makes him identify as Paul is all about his rejection of tribalism and his acceptance of the gospel. The gospel that proclaims at the birth of Christ, Behold, I bring you good news that will be for all nations. What most people know about the conversion of Saul is his encounter with the resurrected Christ. That was the beginning of his changed mind. But Saul was not hunted, hunting down the Jesus believers merely because they believed in the resurrection of their leader. It was mainly because of the spread of the teaching of Jesus. You see, the Pharisee Saul knew that these ideas were dangerous, and he believed that these same ideas presented a grave threat to the nation and his religion. So what was it that Jesus taught that was so challenging? Let me give you but a single example. There are more, but nothing illustrates the threat that Jesus presented to the popular thought any more than a story he told to explain the attitude that God had and wanted his people to adopt. We know it best as the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know the story. If you need a reminder, you can find it in Luke chapter 10. What I want you to know this morning is the reason Jesus told that story in the first place. He tells that story to answer the question of a religious scholar who wanted to know just whom should he consider as his neighbor. 
The raging debate within the religious community of that day was which Jews should be regarded as their true brothers and sisters. Just like today, there were polarized opinions about others, and polarism is what happens when we form up into tribal clusters. It always becomes us versus them. So the scribe wanted to know which person God wanted him to love as he loved himself. The shocking story that Jesus told did not try to bring the Jews together into one big and exclusive family. No, Jesus went much further. He told a story in which the most despised group of people were made the hero of the story. A hated Samaritan man is the one who loves a Jew as his neighbor. To drive his point home, Jesus asked the teacher of religion, which person do you think loved his neighbor as he loved himself? The scholar of Hebraic law could not bring himself to say it was the Samaritan, so he said, the one who helped him, I suppose. And to that Jesus instructed the ages when he said, go then, and so do yourself. Now that was dangerous thinking. It was the kind of thinking that got Jesus crucified and his followers hunted down like dogs by the likes of a man named Saul. Now you know enough to really see the dramatic change that occurs, the change that prompts Saul to go by his Roman name, Paul, and then to write the following down for the ages. So people get what God promised by having faith. This happens so that the promise can be a free gift, and the promise is a free gift then all of Abraham's people will get that promise. The promise is not just for those who live under the law of Moses. It is for all who live with faith as Abraham did. He is the father of us all. As the scriptures say, I have made you a father of many nations. This was one crazy idea. It was the same crazy idea when Abraham first heard it. Paul opened up his Bible and read it as it was meant to be read, and what it said changed his life. God, the God of Abraham and of the Jewish nation and of Jesus, was the same God, and God loved all people. God calls all people to live by faith. The message of Jesus was crazy, but it was true. And it was and is the message we still have today. There is no room in a Christ-following value system for exceptionalism, exclusionary practices, winking at systemic racism and prejudice, or for devaluing any other human being because they are different. In fact, the gospel of Jesus cannot be separated from the message of equality and love for all in the midst of our diversity. True Christ following loves everyone, welcomes everyone, and regards everyone as God's beloved children. This will not always be the popular religious message. But just like Paul, we must make a choice. We must choose the way of Jesus. If we do want to follow him, then we must love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I know. I know that is... One crazy idea, but it is God's idea. So let's give it a try. Let us pray. Lord, help us to see in one another a brother or sister. 
Help us to think of our neighbors as our fellow travelers on a highway of faith. May our faith be that you love us all and we are all precious in your sight. So change us in our minds and in our attitudes and in what we do. Amen. Well, thank you again for tuning in today to this podcast. I love you. I'm praying for you. If you want to write to me, remember my email address is cpmcgathy at yahoo.com. May God bless you. And remember, there's nothing but grace.